The Law School of America. In law, a verdict is the formal finding of fact made by a jury on matters or questions submitted to the jury by a judge. In a bench trial, the judge's decision near the end of the trial is simply referred to as a finding. In England and Wales, a coroner's findings used to be called verdicts but are, since 2009, called conclusions. Etymology. The term verdict, from the Latin veredictum, literally means to say the truth and is derived from Middle English verdict, from Anglo-Norman, a compound of ver, true, from the Latin veris, and dit, speech, from the Latin dictum, the neuter past participle of decere, to say. Criminal law. In a criminal case, the verdict, which may be either not guilty or guilty except in Scotland where the verdict of not proven is also available, is handed down by the jury. Different counts in the same case may have different verdicts. A verdict of guilty in a criminal case is generally followed by a judgment of conviction rendered by the judge, which in turn is followed by sentencing. In U.S. legal nomenclature, the verdict is the finding of the jury on the questions of facts submitted to it. Once the court, the judge, receives the verdict, the judge enters judgment on the verdict. The judgment of the court is the final order in the case. If the defendant is found guilty, he can choose to appeal the case to the local court of appeals. Compromise verdict. A compromise verdict is a verdict which is reached only by the surrender of conscientious convictions upon one material issue by some jurors in return for a relinquishment by others of their like settled opinion upon another issue and the result is one which does not command the approval of the whole panel, and, as such, is not permitted. Directed verdict. In a jury trial, a directed verdict is an order from the presiding judge to the jury to return a particular verdict. Typically, the judge orders a directed verdict after finding that no reasonable jury could reach a decision to the contrary. After a directed verdict, there is no longer any need for the jury to decide the case. A judge may order a directed verdict as to an entire case or only to certain issues. In a criminal case in the United States, once the prosecution has closed its case, the defendant may move for a directed verdict. If granted, the verdict will be not guilty. The prosecution may never seek a directed verdict of guilty, as the defendant has a constitutional right to present a defense and rebut the prosecution's case and have a jury determine guilt or innocence, where a defendant has waived his slasher right to a jury trial and allowed the judge to render the verdict, this still applies. In the American legal system, the concept of directed verdict has largely been replaced by judgment as a matter of law. General verdict. A general verdict is one in which the jury makes a complete finding and single conclusion on all issues presented to it. First, the jury finds the facts, as proved by the evidence, then it applies the law as instructed by the court, and finally it returns a verdict in one conclusion that settles the case. Such verdict is reported as follows. We the jury find the issues for the plaintiff, or defendant, as the case may be, and assess his damages at $100,000. Sealed verdict. A sealed verdict is a verdict put into a sealed envelope when there is a delay in announcing the result, such as waiting for the judge, the parties, and the attorneys to come back to court. The verdict is kept in the sealed envelope until court reconvenes and then handed to the judge. This practice is virtually the default in many U.S. jurisdictions or may be the preference of the judge involved. Special verdict. In English law, a special verdict is a verdict by a jury that makes specific factual conclusions rather than or in addition to, the jury's declaration of guilt or liability. For example, jurors may write down a specific monetary amount of damages, or a finding of proportionality, 
in addition to the jury's ultimate finding of liability. A special jury verdict form may be used to have the jury answer directed questions as to the required elements for a cause of action or special issues, and to demarcate monetary awards of damages by economic and non-economic damages, beneficiary and or specific categories of damages, lost earning capacity, funeral expenses, loss of consortium, pain and suffering, etc. In the words of William Blackstone, the jury state the naked facts, as they find them to be proved, and pray for the advice of the court thereon. Special verdicts are intended to focus the jury's attention on the important questions at hand. The judge forced a special verdict in the famous 1884 case of R. B. Dudley and Stevens, which established a precedent that necessity is not a defense to a charge of murder, but generally it is recommended that such verdicts should only be returned in the most exceptional cases. The jury has a historic function of tempering rules of law by common sense brought to bear upon the facts of a specific case. For this reason Justices Black and Douglas indicated their disapproval of special verdicts even in civil cases. In law, a conviction is the verdict that usually results when a court of law finds a defendant guilty of a crime. The opposite of a conviction is an acquittal, that is, not guilty. In Scotland and in the Netherlands, there can also be a verdict of not proven, which counts as an acquittal. There are also cases in which the court orders that a defendant not be convicted, despite being found guilty. In England, Wales, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand the mechanism for this is a discharge. For a host of reasons, the criminal justice system is not perfect, sometimes guilty defendants are acquitted, while innocent people are convicted. Appeal mechanisms and post-conviction relief procedures may mitigate the effects of a conviction to some extent. An error which results in the conviction of an innocent person is known as a miscarriage of justice. After a defendant is convicted, the court determines the appropriate sentence as a punishment. Furthermore, the conviction may lead to results beyond the terms of the sentence itself. Such ramifications are known as the collateral consequences of criminal charges. A minor conviction is a warning conviction, and it does not affect the defendant but does serve as a warning. A history of convictions are called antecedents, known colloquially as previous in the United Kingdom, and priors in the United States and Australia. The history of convictions also shows that a minor law conviction can be prosecuted as any individual's punishment. United States. With one exception, in the United States an acquittal cannot be appealed by the prosecution because of constitutional prohibitions against double jeopardy. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled. If the judgment is upon an acquittal, the defendant, indeed, will not seek to have it reversed, and the government cannot. U.S. v. Sanges, 1892. Ball v. U.S., 1896 A verdict of acquittal, although not followed by any judgment, is a bar to a subsequent prosecution for the same offense. Ball, Supra, at 672. Society's awareness of the heavy personal strain which a criminal trial represents for the individual defendant is manifested in the willingness to limit the government to a single criminal proceeding to vindicate its very vital interest in enforcement of criminal laws. United States v. Yorn. 1971 Whether the trial is to a jury or, as here, to the bench, subjecting the defendant to post-acquittal fact-finding proceedings going to guilt or innocence violates the double jeopardy clause. Smalley's v. Pennsylvania, 1986 It was decided in Fong Fu v. United States, 1962, that a judgment of acquittal by a jury cannot be appealed by the prosecution. In United States v. Jenkins, 1975, this was held applicable to bench trials. In Arizona v. Rumsey, 1984, 
it was ruled that in a bench trial, when a judge was holding a separate hearing after the jury trial, to decide if the defendant should be sentenced to death or life imprisonment, the judge decided that the circumstances of the case did not permit death to be imposed. On appeal the judge's ruling was found to be erroneous. However, even though the decision to impose a life sentence instead of death was based on an erroneous interpretation of the law by the judge, the finding of life imprisonment in the original case constituted an acquittal of the death penalty and thus death could not be imposed upon a subsequent trial. Even though the acquittal of the death penalty was erroneous in that case, the acquittal must stand. The only exception to an acquittal being final is if the defendant was never in actual jeopardy. If a defendant bribes a judge and obtains acquittal as a result of a bench trial, the acquittal is not valid because the defendant was never in jeopardy in the first place. Harry Alemon v. Judges of the Criminal Division, Circuit Court of Cook County, Illinois, et al., 1998. An acquittal, while conclusive as to the criminal law, does not necessarily bar private civil actions in tort or on some other grounds as a result of the facts alleged in the charge. For example, the city of Los Angeles was held liable in 1994 for the 1991 Rodney King beating despite state acquittals in 1992 of all four of its four main LAPD defendants, and in 1997 O.J. Simpson was held civilly liable for wrongful death even after being tried and acquitted in 1995 of murder. An acquittal also does not bar prosecution for the same offenses under a statute of a different jurisdiction. For example, in the United States, someone acquitted of a state murder charge can be retried for the same actions on a federal charge of violating civil rights, and police acquitted of a state charge of felonious assault, as in the Rodney King case, can likewise be tried on federal civil rights charges. Scotland. Scots law has two acquittal verdicts, not guilty and not proven. However a verdict of not proven does not give rise to the double jeopardy rule. England and Wales. In England and Wales, which share a common legal system, the Criminal Justice Act 2003 creates an exception to the double jeopardy rule, by providing that retrials may be ordered if new and compelling evidence comes to light after an acquittal for a serious crime. Also, the Criminal Procedure and Investigations Act 1996 permits a tainted acquittal to be set aside in circumstances where it is proved beyond reasonable doubt that an acquittal has been obtained by violence or threats of violence to a witness or juror s. In modern England and Wales, and in all countries that substantially follow English criminal procedure, an acquittal normally results in the immediate liberation of the defendant from custody, assuming no other charges against the defendant remain to be tried. However, until 1774 a defendant acquitted by an English or Welsh court would be remanded to jail until he had paid the jailer for the costs of his confinement. It was known for acquitted persons to die in jail for lack of jailer's fees. In common law jurisdictions, an acquittal certifies that the accused is free from the charge of an offense, as far as the criminal law is concerned. The finality of an acquittal is dependent on the jurisdiction. In some countries, such as the United States, an acquittal operates to bar the retrial of the accused for the same offense, even if new evidence surfaces that further implicates the accused. The effect of an acquittal on criminal proceedings is the same whether it results from a jury verdict or results from the operation of some other rule that discharges the accused. In other countries, the prosecuting authority may appeal an acquittal similar to how a defendant may appeal a conviction. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Not proven, Scots, no proven, Scottish Gaelic, Gun Deerbod, is a verdict available to a court of law in Scotland. Under Scots law, a criminal trial may end in one of three verdicts, one of conviction, guilty, 
and two of acquittal, not proven and not guilty. Between the Restoration in the late 17th century and the early 18th century, jurors in Scotland were expected only to find whether individual factual allegations were proven or not proven, rather than to rule on an accused's guilt. In 1728, the jury in a murder trial asserted its ancient right to declare a defendant not guilty. Over time, the not guilty verdict regained wide acceptance and use amongst Scots juries, with the encouragement of defense lawyers. It eventually displaced not proven as the primary verdict of acquittal. Nowadays, juries can return a verdict of either not guilty or not proven, with the same legal effect of acquittal. Although historically it may be a similar verdict to not guilty, in the present day not proven is typically used by a jury when there is a belief that the defendant is guilty but the Crown has not provided sufficient evidence. Scott's law requires corroboration, the evidence of one witness, however credible, is not sufficient to prove a charge against an accused or to establish any material or crucial fact. Out of the country, the not proven verdict may be referred to as the Scottish verdict and in Scotland itself it may be referred to colloquially as the bastard verdict, which was a term coined by Sir Walter Scott, who was sheriff in the court of Selkirk. History. By the early 17th century, the standard practice of juries in Scotland was to return a finding of fillet, culpable and convict or clean, innocent and acquit. This changed in the late 17th century, at which point the role of the jury became simply to declare whether or not the facts alleged had been proved, with the judge left to determine, based on that declaration, whether the accused was guilty or not. There is some disagreement between historians as to why this change happened. David Hume and Hugo Arnaud argue that it was rooted in religious oppression. The Crown persecuted the Covenanters but popular support made it impossible to convict them in a jury trial. To pair the power of the jury, the Scottish judges began restricting the jury's role, no longer would the jury announce whether the accused was guilty or not guilty, instead, it would decide whether specific factual allegations were proven or not proven, and the judge would then decide whether to convict. Reintroduction of Not Guilty In a notable trial in 1728, a defense lawyer, Robert Dundas, persuaded a jury to reassert its ancient right of acquitting, of finding an accused not guilty, in spite of the facts being proven. The case involved the trial of Carnegie of Finhaven for the murder of the Earl of Strathmore. The law required the jury merely to look at the facts and pass a verdict of proven or not proven depending on whether they believed the evidence proved that the accused had killed the Earl. Carnegie had undoubtedly killed the Earl but had also clearly not intended to do so. If the jury brought in a proven verdict they would in effect constrain the judge to find Carnegie guilty of murder, for which the punishment was hanging. To avert this outcome, the jury asserted what it believed to be their ancient right to judge the whole case and not just the facts and brought in the verdict of not guilty. The reintroduction of the not guilty verdict was part of a wider movement during the 17th and 18th century which saw a gradual increase in the power of juries, such as the trial of William Penn in 1670, in which an English jury first gained the right to pass a verdict contrary to the law, known as jury nullification, and the trial of John Peter Zinger in New York in 1735 in which jury nullification is credited with establishing freedom of the press as firm right in what would become the United States. Legal academic Ian Willock argues that the 1728 case was of great significance in calling a halt to a process of attrition which might have led to the total extinction of the criminal jury. Although jurors continued to use both not guilty and not proven after 1728, jurors tended to favor the not guilty verdict over the not proven and the interpretation changed. Calls for reform. There have been consistent calls to scrap the not proven verdict since the middle of the 20th century. 
1975, the Thompson Committee on Criminal Procedure in Scotland, chaired by Lord Thompson, recommended retaining the three-verdict system. The Scottish Office consulted on scrapping not proven in 1994. Unsuccessful attempts to scrap the not proven verdict were made in Parliament by Donald Dewar in 1969, George Robertson in 1993, prompted by the trial outcome in the murder of Amanda Duffy, and Lord Macaulay of Bragger in 1995. A member's bill to scrap the not proven verdict was debated in the Scottish Parliament in 2016, but was rejected by 80 votes to 28. Proponents of reform argue that the not proven verdict is widely regarded as an acquittal used when the judge or jury does not have enough evidence to convict but is not sufficiently convinced of the accused person's innocence to bring in a not guilty verdict. Essentially, the judge or jury is unconvinced that the suspect is innocent, but guilt has not been proven beyond reasonable doubt. Conversely, its opponents argue that a two-verdict system would lead to an increase in wrongful convictions. Following a not-proven verdict in a criminal trial in 2015, Ms. M successfully sued Stephen Coxon in the civil courts, in what was the first civil damages action for rape following an unsuccessful criminal prosecution in almost 100 years. In 2018 Ms. M launched hashtag and not proven alongside Rape Crisis Scotland, calling for not proven to be removed and citing the disproportionate use in rape cases, the widespread misunderstandings of the verdict and fears that it is being used as an easy way out by jurors. Modern Usage In Scotland, a criminal case may be decided either in solemn procedure by a jury, instructed by the judge, or in summary procedure by the judge alone, with no jury appointed. There are various rules for when the one or the other procedure may or must be employed. In general, juries are employed for the more severe accusations, while petty crimes and offenses are treated summarily. A criminal case jury consists of 15 jurors, who make their decision by a simple majority vote. Eight votes are necessary and sufficient for the verdict guilty, which has replaced the verdict proven. Approximately one-third of all acquittal verdicts by Scottish juries use the formulation not proven, the others use not guilty. The verdict not proven also is available for judges in the summary procedure, and is employed in about a fifth of the summary acquittals. The proportion of not proven acquittals, in general, is higher in the more severe cases, but so then of the proportion of acquittals versus convictions. This might have many different reasons, for example, that on average it might be factually more complicated to establish guilt beyond a reasonable doubt in the more severe cases. Both in the solemn and the summary acquittals, not proven is interpreted as indicating that the jury or judge, respectively, is not convinced of the innocence of the accused. In fact, they may be morally convinced that the accused is guilty, but do not find the proofs sufficient for a conviction. One reason for this is the rule that in such cases the evidence for the prosecution must be corroborated in order to permit a conviction. Thus, there might be a single plaintiff or witness for the prosecution, which the jury or judge believes is both truthful and trustworthy but no other witness or circumstances against the accused. By Scottish law, the accused then should be acquitted, but often will be so by the verdict not proven. Use in other jurisdictions. In general, the Scottish verdict has not been permanently adopted outside its home country, but it was sometimes used in colonial Canada, especially by some judges in southwestern Ontario. Its most famous use in the United States came when Senator Arlen Specter tried to vote not proven on the two articles of impeachment of Bill Clinton, his votes were recorded as not guilty and when, at the O.J. Simpson murder case, various reformers, including Fred Goldman, Ron Goldman's father, 
pushed for a change to not proven because of what they felt was an incorrect presumption of innocence on the part of Simpson. The verdict is often referenced in U.S. cases where the jury is obliged to find the state has not proved its case beyond a reasonable doubt, but there is widespread feeling that the defendant does not deserve the exoneration of a not guilty verdict. A popular saying about the not proven verdict is that it means not guilty, but don't do it again. In 2005, a proposal was made in the University of Chicago Law Review to introduce the not proven verdict into the United States. Cases which resulted in a not proven verdict. Sir Hugh Campbell and Sir George Campbell for being part of the rising at Bothwell Bridge. Alfred John Monson, in relation to the Art Lamont murder. Madeline Smith, accused of murdering her boyfriend by poison. Helen McDougall, in relation to the Burke and Hare murders. Alan Peters, in relation to the murder of Maxwell Garvey. John Leslie, in relation to an alleged sexual assault. Francis Ald, accused of the murder of Amanda Duffy. Stephen Coxon, in 2015 acquitted with a not proven verdict for raping Miss M but later in 2018 a civil case declared he had raped her. On March 23, 2020, a jury found the former SNP leader and Scotland's first minister Alex Salmon not proven on one charge, and not guilty on 12 other charges, of sexual assault, he was thus acquitted of all charges against him. Donald Merritt, tried in February 1927 for the murder of his mother. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America